0: Thank you, Mishy. Good morning. It is good to be with you. Just uh, for a moment, I think we need a moment's silence just for Springbok Ruby. Um, I, I, I have a solution. It's, I, I don't have a lot to say. I've just got a picture. The, the more things change, the more nay, they need to stay in the same. There we go. Okay, dad jokes are over. It is great to be with you. Uh, we, we just finished a series called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Did you enjoy that series? It's just good for our souls, huh? We're going to go into another series that's even better for our souls. We're going we're gonna to focus on gratitude. Here's, here's the deal. We are aiming to have Olive Tree Church, the happiest people, going into December. When everybody else is very sad, we will be happy. Is that a good? Yeah, we're born in. Well done. And so we've called this gratitude And uh, I I did a whole bunch of research, and and one of the things I found was they did a a project uh, in the States at at some varsities where they looked at 300 people, broke them into three groups, um, sent them to the same psychologist. 300 people were depressed and wanted to get out of depression. So they, they put them in three groups, same group of psychologists. They said to group number one, what we want you to do is go to the psychologist and write a letter of gratitude every week, 10 or 12 weeks. So they had to do that. Group number two, just go see the psychologist. Group number three, go see the psychologist and work on your problems. Focus on your problems, write about your problems, work on them, get them fixed. After the project was over, they did did some kind of analysis. They found that group number one, who had written letters of gratitude were significantly better off than they were. Like, significantly. They were coming out of depression. People were getting uh, getting their minds back. Their mental health was healthy. Group number two had improved. Not significantly, but they had improved. Group number three got worse. Here's the deal. It's almost like God knew what He was talking about when He said... You will celebrate seven feasts throughout the year. You will build your entire calendar on gratitude. You will spend once, one day a week Sabbathing and being grateful for what God has done in your life. You will spend every day praying the Psalms so that you can learn gratitude in every aspect of your life. Because here's what happens. Your brain, my brain, are wired towards survival. We are looking for threats all day long. And we live in South Africa. (laughs) So we are literally wired to be in trauma. That's basically what's going on. And if you do not interrupt the way your brain is wired, you land yourself in a state of trauma. When you, every now and again, practice gratitude, you shift a little bit. When you make it a habit, you shift completely. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone and just go, I am so grateful for. It's not a trick. Oh, well done, well done. Some of you still going. Some of, some of you are like, I am so grateful. Anyway, well done. My, uh, my wife and I, we were walking the other day, and she's, as she's walking, she says to me, babe, I am so grateful for our marriage. We've been married 14, almost 15 years. I'm so grateful for our marriage. And then there's like this long pause. And then she goes, and I haven't always been. <laughs> <laughs> there are some people here who are living so grateful for today. And there are some people today who are hunting for something to be grateful for. And I want to speak to you about something we can all be grateful for. But I want to just, you know, we've just come out of COVID, really. How long ago were we all wearing masks and looking at ninjas? I mean, it, was, it wasn't that long ago. It was like what was it, a little dot in May, but pre that, what was it, March, February? So, so this church has literally come out of the depths of despair. It was hard. And so I just asked some people to tell me some of the things we should celebrate. And you know that this year, 26 people have been baptized. 206 people have, been, have signed up for life groups. Isn't that cool? Well done, well done. Okay, 139 people have signed up to serve. I want to, I want to celebrate one space particularly. At the beginning of this year, we had four volunteers in Kids Church. Today, we have 25 in Impact, about 10 in Anchored, and we've got 13 in Ladula. Just well done, church. That is awesome. <clears throat> uh, this is a bit. Sp- a little bit dodgy, because 389 people signed up to go to one of our courses. And I just know you, and a lot of you sign up and never pitch. <laughs> May you feel great guilt. Anyway, we, there's just some good stuff happening. You know, we've got this like intercessory team. The other day, they were praying for six hours for this church, for you. There, there are so many beautiful people in the service. I, I was pointed to a guy, Chris Lyle. If you see Chris Lyle, he's a, he runs a hospitality team, just hug him, because he is just amazing. He'll feel deeply uncomfortable, so I'll give him a big hug. But uh, he, he pitched up, and he had, um, the beginning this year, there were two volunteers, him and Erica. Today, they have 14 volunteers on the team. If you watch that team, they will pray for People, as they're coming out of the congregation, they'll find people and they'll say, The Holy Spirit said this to me. They're just ministering left, right, and center. And I want to say, This church is full of gold, incredible people. As a pastor, every now and again, I go, Man, it is hard to lead a church that is often more holy than you. Like, what am I supposed to do? I just want to say, You Oaks are fantastic. Most of you are fantastic. (laughs) But today, we're going to shift into something different. and um, sometimes I teach. Mostly I preach. Preaching, basically I have one, one point. I just come at it from a hundred different angles. Every now and again, I download to you. This is a download day. This is the day when you, when you actually have to listen a little bit. And the reason I'm gonna download to you is because this message should be a shaping message. It should shape us as a church. And I've waited a long time to give this message um, because we've come out of COVID, and I didn't want any form of like forcing people into th- anything, but I believe that this message will shape us as a community and help us, and it'll help you celebrate something. So I'm going to dive into scripture. If you want to take notes, go for it. In John one, verse fourteen, it says this: "So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory." as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, about Jesus, when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses But God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. I want to focus on this first verse. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt. It it means Tabernacled or tented or encamped. Now, if you're a Christian, you, when you hear the word tabernacled, you think of this. Let me show a picture. That thing. That's what you think of. That's Moses' tent. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they built one of those because God said this He said, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may tabernacle or dwell amongst them. God wanted. hang out with you. Now, my uh, little girl, uh, my 18-month or two-year-old now, yes, I should dedicate her. Uh, She, last night, you know, what happens with with pastors and their wives is that pastors' wives protect you from your children on Saturday night. That's generally what happens. She, She generally keeps the parasites away from me. But on this Saturday night, she just went... I can't take it anymore. And so I heard at about, I don't know, it was probably one o'clock in the morning, I hear this, dad, dad, peekaboo, And then I feel her climbing up my leg, and then she like slides over and goes over the other side, and she goes, I did it, I did it. And then she goes, dad, dad. And in that moment, I thought, you're so cute. Please go away. But but God doesn't do that. God goes, I so want to dwell with you that I'll make a place. And this tent, you can go back to the tent. It is the dwelling place of a God who wants to dwell with you. God so wants to be with you that he says, make this tabernacle in the pattern that i formed, so that I can come and be with you, because God doesn't want you to just know about him, he wants you to know him, to experience him, and so he creates, in this tabernacle, he creates this outer court, basically where the shade cloth is, and that's the outer court, and then he puts a sacrificial system, so what they would do is they'd burn stuff, they would sacrifice stuff, they'd have a braille on that big like square thing, and then there's like where that water feature is, that's the brazen altar, that's for washing. And and what would happen is the priests would make a sacrifice so that they could go to the next level with God, into the inner court. And from the inner court, everything just gets more and more of God's presence and more and more of his holiness. And then from there, once a year, one priest would go into the holiest of holies And that priest would make sacrifices for himself, for the people. And what he was doing is he was going into the presence of God so that he could pronounce the forgiveness of God. He was going into the life of God so that he could pronounce the blessing of God. Now, this is important because all the way through, the priest is breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. Because in the center of the Holy of Holies was a little ark. And this ark had three things in it. It had a stone tablet with all the laws written on it. It had a jar that was full of manna, the stuff that came down and they ate. And one other thing, Aaron's staff, now you think about a staff for a moment. A staff is something that you walk on and is very dead. Agreed? Like it's not growing. You've polished it, you've shined it, you walk with it for year after year. This thing is a dead piece of wood. It got put into the presence of God and budded. A leaf came out, a seed came out, and it budded. A flower came out. The message is this. The life of God is in the Holy of Holies. So God makes a place. And he chooses a people, the priests, who will represent men to God and God to men, who will go and sacrifice for their sin and then come out and bless them. So he gets a place, he gets a people, and his presence dwells with men. Now, let me show you another tabernacle. This is in Brazil. It should be in Jerusalem, but some Brazilian pastor went... Ah, let's just come up with this. And he built what would have been Solomon's tabernacle or temple. Solomon's temple was put on the top of Jerusalem. It was the place that heaven meets earth. It's the hut. And so people would go up to Jerusalem to proclaim his goodness, and they would meet in the presence of God. Now let me show you another tabernacle. A tree. Now, that is supposed to be the garden, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a tabernacle, tent. Now, if you're wondering when he's going to get to the point soon. In the Garden of Eden, it says there was the tree of life in the midst of the garden. That word midst, it means in the middle and separated. It was the holy of holies of the garden. Then there was the rest of the Garden of Eden and Adam would walk in the cool of the day into the midst, the holy of holies in the garden, and he would connect with God. Then he'd walk out into the rest of the garden and into the land of Eden, and he would pronounce, you are a giraffe and you are a hippo and you will go forth and multiply and you will make many babies and you seed will produce and blessing would flow. He would go into the presence of God Breathe in, and then he'd go out, breathe out. And blessing and multiplication and the garden that he tended would begin to grow and cover the land. And then he'd go back into the presence of God. But in the process, he sins, messes up, and God gets these ninjas called cherubim. They weren't really ninjas. They were angels that would kill you. And they guarded, after sin had come into the world, they guarded Adam and Eve from coming in and eating of the tree of life and staying in a state of sin for the rest of their lives. And in the ark, I mean, in the temple, in that, go back to the tent, in that spot, there are these curtains separating areas. And on them are woven these little cherubim, basically going, don't you dare come in here without the sacrifice. God will kill you, because he is holy. Okay, so we've got a tent tabernacle, we've got a temple tabernacle, we've got a garden tabernacle. Now let me show you a fourth tabernacle. Probably not that dude, but another dude who looked a little bit like him called Jesus. I want to show you a text. Do you remember this time when Jesus was all meek and mild? The people were trading in the temple. And uh, Jesus comes in with, and he makes a whip. It takes a few hours, makes a whip, and then starts smashing people. You Remember that Jesus' meek and mild moment. Jesus was a bad day. It's just like, uh, it's my favorite part of Jesus. Just smoke some people. You know why he got so angry? Because there was a part of the temple that was for Gentiles, for people like you and me who wanted to experience the presence of God. And because the Jews so detested the Gentiles, they decided, nah, we are going to trade in this area so they can't get in. This is the church that has no place for non-Christians in their heart. He's not just angry because they are making money off people. He's angry because they are squeezing the Gentiles out. And so he starts whipping and kicking over tables and he goes mad. And then what happens is the Pharisees come to him, the Jewish leaders, and they said, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, basically prove it. Show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Now, every other time they've ever done this, Jesus just walks away. He's not interested. This time, he says, Okay. All right, Jesus replied, Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. What they exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said this temple, he was talking about his body. Jesus was saying, you have spent your whole lives going to a building to come into the presence of God. And the presence of God has left the building. I am the presence of God. And you've spent every year, you have killed so many animals at great expense so that you could experience the presence of God. But with this new temple, there needs to be a better sacrifice. And so he says, my body will be ripped apart. As the sacrifice. And then he goes, and in the temple you need a priest who will represent men to God and God to men. And I'll be the high priest. The temple has become a person. And the way in has become faith. And the result of people who will come in is they will experience the power of God in such incredible ways that they will bring life into the world. So he says this in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. You know, remember that that the holy place was separated by a curtain? Jesus is going, my body's the curtain, and I will tear it, get it torn apart so that you can come in, so that you can go into the holy place. He says, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Here's what he's saying. You've spent your whole life, Jews, coming to God, hoping that you'll be forgiven because of an animal. But from this day on, you'll come to God knowing that you are forgiven because of my blood, because my sacrifice is so much better than that sacrifice. You can't work anymore to come into my presence You can only believe to come into my presence. But, Jesus goes, almost like this. It's almost like he's saying, the reconstruction of the temple isn't quite finished because the one down he says, I'm the cornerstone of the temple. The stone that lots of people have rejected. But you who've accepted it, you form the temple. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am the temple through which you come into the presence of God and by my sacrifice, and I represent you before God. But if you believe that, then it's like you're a stone connected to me. And there's another stone. And there's another stone. Now, let me tell you why it's so important. I've waited this long to preach this message to you. Because I could have guilted you out of COVID into coming back to church but I wanted to preach to you about what this church is about. You see, when we came up with a vision statement, it started with enjoy God, then love people, release potential, impact community. Enjoy God is called worship in this house. Worship for us is not good music. Worship for us is coming through the sacrifice that is Jesus into the very presence of God so that you can be like one stone attached to another stone, that this stone's on fire and this stone's cold, but when the presence of God is there, the stones begin to touch one another and change so that one person sitting over there has just lost a job another person over there has just won a new business another person over there has lost a family member and another one has given birth. And when they come together in the power and the presence of God, something happens between them and the Spirit of God begins to minister from one to the next. And what you start to have is a temple so full of the power of God that you become what God calls the royal priesthood of believers. You minister to God, you breathe in, and then you minister to the world, you breathe out. And you minister to God, and you breathe in, and you minister to the world, and you breathe out. And this church is about that first. And everything else flows out of that. And if you don't get that, if you think that this is like the late show where you come to like suss out the preaching, you, you so missed it. That's not what we're about. What we're about is about priests coming into the temple, breathing in the power of God so you can breathe out to the world. And when you miss the gathering together of the saints, what actually happens so much of the time, because you can get it on your own, but not like this, what happens so often is that you live in the world dry, not a blessing, not pronouncing the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, not pronouncing the life of Jesus Christ, just existing. And so today, We're gonna go into a time of worship and you know in the first service, Justy was shaking so much during the worship because the presence of God was so beautifully here. Today, I want us to offer beautiful worship. That doesn't mean you sing well, it means worship that our heavenly Father is pleased with. Worship that he goes, this is so good because it's what you're here for. Let's sing to Him and experience His presence. If you've never experienced His presence, worship Him and watch what happens so that we can go out and be priests. Because you can't go out with nothing and give anything. You've got to experience it. So can we stand and be the temple and worship in a way that pleases God?